0: Hey everyone, it's Beth. In addition to being a daughter without a mom, I'm also a daughter without a dad. Today, I'll share more of the story of my dad. If you are enjoying the podcast, can you please go to the show and leave a rating and review? I'd really appreciate it. It helps the podcast to receive recognition on the platform where you listen and may help others find the podcast. Thank you. Hi, this is Beth and welcome back to the podcast today I thought I would share more of my story of being a daughter without a dad, even though the name of this podcast is daughters without moms is a place for all of us to share our stories and in addition to being a daughter without a mom I'm also a daughter without a dad and his birthday is coming up on June 9th and then Father's Day will follow that and been thinking about him a lot lately um I spent it will be four years in July since he passed and so thinking I want to share a little bit more about him um this probably isn't going to be as easy for me just because my dad was a really private quiet person and so I in no way shape or form want to dishonor him um so I'm going to do my best to stick to my side of the story and uh, share the things about about my perspective of my relationship with my dad, which was good. It wasn't bad, Um, but you know, any relationship has ups and downs and room to grow. So um, my mom was my dad's second marriage. He had already previously been married and had um, children. And so from the very beginning, my mom's parents were not happy with the fact that she was marrying somebody who was divorced Um, But my dad grew up with an alcoholic and abusive father. He actually left his home in New York when he was about 16. So um, I think a lot of that adds to the reason why my dad was so private and quiet, um, because I'm pretty sure he internalized a lot of the experiences that he had in that household until he was uh, 16. So my parents got married when we... I was born in New York when I was two, we moved to Maine. Um, My mom didn't really like it in Maine. She also had a stillborn daughter, pardon me, after me, whose name was Regina, who she is buried next to in Maine. And so in 1977, when I was seven years old, we moved to Illinois because my mom was just not really happy with living in Maine. So we moved to Illinois, and then the next year, my parents separated. My dad left in 1978 and moved to Key West, Florida. He was a project manager kind of career person. So at that time, was doing resorts and then moved on to resorts and golf courses and then casinos. So he moved to Key West to to work on a golf course project down there at the Key West Resort at the time and the casa marina and so um, there were a lot of a lot of what do they called? rumors going on around my dad when he left that he left with his secretary i was really just too young to understand what was going on i was 8 years old but i distinctly remember there's being this this kind of team in the house where it was amy and mom my, my older sister was three years older than I was, so she was 10. Um, Amy and mom kind of against my dad. Uh, unfortunately, I think my mom confided in my sister and a lot of things in a, in a way that was probably really inappropriate because even if he was making bad choices, he was still our father. And my mom shared a lot of things with Amy that probably crossed a line of um, treating my sister more of like a, um, like a peer, than a daughter. So I just remember feeling like it was Amy and mom against dad and I was hearing all the things and I mean, I knew what it meant, but I, I guess I probably just didn't really at eight years old understand the gravity of it. Um, but so for a long time, there was just a lot of tension between, between all of us. Um, and so for the first four years of their separation and by this time, I'm pretty sure that they were legally divorced but in the fall of 1982 after being just the two girls with mom for four years we decided to move to Key West with dad like who wouldn't who wouldn't leave Champaign Illinois and go move to Key West we had been spending most summers and Christmases there with dad so we decided to um, move and of course we tried to change our minds but it was too late and to be honest, I'm bitching my mom was like thrilled because she had moved straight from, she was went to nursing school, got married and went straight from her parents' house to being married and living with my dad and then being a single mom for four years. So I'm thinking about it now. I'm sure she was ready for a break and was happy for a little uh, time to herself. Um, but in the spring of 1983 is when Our mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and then she died in June of 1983 when I was 13 and my sister was 16. So my dad technically became both parents to us. He became mom and dad, even though he was already dating and married my wicked stepmother, we call her as a joke now. We weren't that great to her at the time, but in 1984. Then Becky got married and we moved to South Carolina. So I'm just gonna be honest and say that I wasn't, I wasn't a really kind person back then. I mean, first of all, I was right in those angsty teen years uh, where you think you know everything. I had lost my mom, my dad was remarrying. Like, there was a lot of stuff going on and I probably wasn't the best person during that time probably wasn't being too kind to myself either now looking back on it, but here we were, we had just moved to Key West in 1982 and in 1984, two years later, we're moving to South Carolina and I'm starting high school. So, okay. Ninth grade starting a new school. Okay. That's, that, that's okay. But then two years later, they, we moved to Florida. And at this, by this time, I've kind of had it with all this moving and I, um, and by this time I am now 16 and still an angsty teen, I'd have to say, but also it was just wanting to be back at my high school, wanting to be with my friends. Starting my junior year at another school and they put me in a Catholic school and I had never gone to Catholic church before. We had gone to Lutheran church with my grandparents, but had no idea about the rituals and all the things that go along with Catholicism which I admire, but I had no idea how it all worked. And when you're 16 and you don't know all the movements to make, um, it's pretty obvious that you are an outsider right from the beginning. So I think I lasted there, it was a quarter. I think high school was in quarters at that time and moved back to South Carolina, maybe in the middle of my junior year. And I lived with one of my friends and her mom. Well, by the summer after my junior year, it became apparent that it'd be better for me to just have an apartment on my own. So, my senior year of high school, I lived in my own one bedroom apartment in South Carolina while my parents, my dad and Becky, lived in Florida. So that's a story for another day, But I'm just telling you that because uh, to 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 let you know, like I didn't live with my parents since I was sixteen years old. So I had thirteen years with my mom and really 16 years with my dad. And then we never lived together again. Um, But my dad was very, um, a very hands-off kind of father. And I partially think it's because of, it was probably his protective mechanism um, from not wanting to continue the cycle that his father had, the way his father had treated him growing up. Um, But he gave us a lot of freedom and respect until we abused it. And, you know, being angsty teens, my sister and I, we did a couple of times. Um, And he would put us in our place and we would have to earn his trust again. But he certainly was in no way, shape or form one of these helicopter parents or um, tried to manipulate, you know, things going on in our lives whatsoever. Uh, so I went on to college and then I met my husband and got married and started having children and, um, and it was, wasn't that I wasn't close with my dad, but we physically lived apart from each other and they were continuing to work and move around. Uh, by this time, I think they had moved to Fort Myers, Florida, and then eventually they moved to Las Vegas, but I always knew my dad was there if I needed him, but, Uh, we just, you know, we, our relationship was based on a kind of a need basis instead of a, we weren't in a constant connection basis, if that makes any kind of sense. But I knew he was there if I needed him. And when I started having kids, he was actually flying to Atlantic City and working during the week on casinos and things. Um, And so he was here for when my when my first daughter was born. And I believe also when my second daughter was born. Um, I distinctly remember the first time we were going to visit, take my my oldest as a baby to go visit his mom, my grandmother um, in New York, and my dad came up from Atlantic City and drove me and my daughter Emily there. That was really, really sweet. So those are the kind of things that he did, he did show up. Um, for me and was was supportive in those times so but then he and Becky moved to Las Vegas um, and one of the things that always uh, was hard for me to process was that we were never never able to find where my mom was buried in Maine they had a memorial service for her after she died And then my grandfather was like one of the groundskeepers or something at their church. And so he was going to bury her himself. And we had been back twice to Maine. We didn't live in Maine anymore, but we're back um, visiting on two separate occasions and could not find mom's grave. So this was 2002. And I think it was everything with September 11th. I actually was looking back through some notes that I had taken. It was through everything after September 11th um, and I had decided to, I went through the membership class at our church and had written a letter basically forgiving my grandparents for what they had done to my sister and I. If you want to hear about that, you can go back and listen to the story of my mom and my grandparents, but they basically threw us out of their lives after our mom, their daughter died. So, um, and to the, the spring, I guess late winter beginning of 2002, I started making, I, I wrote this letter, sent, tried to figure out how to send it to them and found out that they were both already gone. And so um, they did not get my letter, but for me, it was the, the process that I needed to do. And then I probably felt a little bit safer that we weren't gonna run into them if we went back to Maine. And I started making some phone calls because I knew the name of the church that we used to go to. And from one phone call to another, um, finally got in touch with somebody in the township and was saying, you know, I'm trying to find out my mom died in 1983. This is her name. No, I didn't say this is her name. Um, This is her maiden name. And she was buried there and we've never been able to find her grave. And the woman on the phone says, do you mean seal? and Seal was my mom's name. Turned out it was one of her friends that worked in the township office. Long story short, hi, Charlie, you can hear my cat meowing here. Long story short, um, we were given a map of the cemetery and we're told go down the middle row, 16 rows on your left, there you will find her. So then I reached out to my dad at this point in time, I'm living in, this is 2002. I'm living in Pennsylvania. My sister, Amy, is living in Miami and my dad is in Las Vegas. And I said, my birthday was in March. And I think all this was coming out in like February. I was doing all this research and stuff. And I said, for my birthday, can you take Amy and I to Maine and can we go visit mom's grave? And of course he said, yes. And so those are the kind of things that, like, I look back on that experience, and I think, you know, he didn't have to do that. And he did, and he paid to fly Amy up from Miami and me from here, and he himself flew from Las Vegas, and we spent, um, I guess, like three days in Maine visiting mom's grave. So I actually had a copy of a letter that I wrote to him in February of 2002, and I wanted just to read a little bit of it to you. Dear Dad, I just want to say thank you for saying yes to this trip without any hesitation. It means so much to me to do this with you and Amy. It feels like a big piece of unfinished business. I'm going to skip a little part. Um, you didn't have to say yes. And I want you to know that I appreciate that you did and, you are, and that you're going. Many times I get lonely and upset about the distance between us and how much my family is growing and that you don't get to see them very often. But I always know that you are there for me and that you love me. And that if I need you, all I have to do is ask. That's as important to me now as ever because I think now that I'm a mom, I miss my mom even more. And I look to you for a lot of those lost feelings to be replaced. So thank you for always being there for me, especially when you know I need you the most. I'm looking forward to, and am scared about April. So my dad did do a lot of things to support myself, and my sister, Um, and so that was just one thing that I, will always be thankful for my dad doing, giving us that opportunity. We went and we found mom's grave. We left flowers. We talked to her. She's married, I'm married, buried next to my stillborn sister. We visited the family friends that took us in um, when, when the grandparents threw Amy and I out of the house, the bridges, which were really good friends of our family. Um, And uh, it was just a great, great weekend. I have some journal entries about that as well. Um, So then after this and and the next year, I have my third child. And anyone who's listening who has children of your own, you know, you become a little bit of a mama bear, maybe. You just realize that you have this tremendous amount of love um, for these human beings. And there's no way that you can actually understand it unless you have children of your own, whether they're biological or adopted or nieces and nephews, but you will know what I mean. When you have that kind of connection with another human being outside your body, it's literally like your heart is walking outside of your body. And for several years, um, so they moved to Las Vegas and I know like I was upset about that because it was a lot harder for me to bring my family of five to Las Vegas, which, in my opinion, you know, Las Vegas wasn't a place for young kids. I mean, at that time, you know, maybe my kids were like three, five, and eight. And so, I do remember being upset and saying, like, "Well, you're going to have to come visit us because it's a lot easier for the two of you to come here than for the five of us to go there." Um, And, you know, once you start planting those sort of thoughts in your head, you will find and see what you want to. So I was getting angry that he was missing out on these amazing kids that I had because they are still are amazing kids that I had. And I just, he wasn't the grandpa that I wanted him to be, you know, he wasn't ever the kind of guy that was going to be rolling around on the floor like my father-in-law and letting the kids pretend like they're changing Pop-Pop's diaper. My dad just wasn't like that. Like I told you, he was quiet. He was very introverted. He was so soft-spoken. He played with them and played Legos with them and was the best book reader with them. But I had this expectation of him that was really unrealistic. I started to realize after many years of being angry that I was trying to hold my dad accountable to a standard that wasn't even possible or realistic for him to fulfill because that's just not the kind of person that he was. So I realized I had to change my expectation or else I was going to continue to be disappointed and I was going to continue to be angry. Um, So that was just a second kind of big thing that I wanted to share with you that I realized in the processing of my own relationship with my dad, but there are some things that I do want you to know about my dad. First of all, he was extremely intelligent, just extremely intelligent. Um, I just already told you that he was also very quiet. If you're old enough to remember, there used to be a commercial that says, when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. Well, that was definitely my dad. He spoke very softly, and so if you wanted to pay attention You really had to lean in and pay attention to what he was saying. And he didn't always say a lot. He most certainly wasn't a talker. So if he was sharing something, it was most certainly something that was very, very important. He was welcoming welcoming and supportive until you pissed him off. And then if you pissed him off like that was it, he was done with you. But because he was always on construction sites, I remember him supporting guys that were going through hard times, giving people money. He was always very generous with supporting other people financially. Um, And he uh, broke the cycle of abuse. And I know that that's a huge generational um, thing to be able to, to do. And he never touched us. He never touched my sister and I. I distinctly remember my mom was the disciplinarian. But my dad would like kind of like swat our, you know, swat us like so lightly. And he'd be like, does that hurt? And we'd say, no. And he would say, do you want me to make it hurt? And I'm pretty sure Amy always said no. And I'm pretty sure I was like, I don't care. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but I'm really, really proud that he broke the cycle of abuse because that's a huge, huge thing to be able to do. Um, and also the other thing of his generation is he was defined by his career so that's also why you know I'm not saying that his family wasn't important to him because I know we were important to him but when I did that whole reflection about holding my dad to an unrealistic standard I realized that he and I had different values same underlying foundation of values but I valued my family, I value relationships, I value connection, and and he was a product of his environment, he was abused physically, Um, I know many times that he was probably put in a situation of being the man of his house, Um, I actually didn't meet his mom until after my mom died, because he severed that relationship with her, because he couldn't, I'm assuming it was because he couldn't forgive her for continuing to allow her husband back into the home even though you know in the it was probably in the 50s early 60s divorce was not a very common and or acceptable thing right after our, our mom died we would start going to grandma's house for christmas so so he did he did value us and value family in certain ways um, but he was most certainly defined by his career And he was really good at what he did. The other thing I loved about him, uh, remembering about him, was that he loved boats and he loved fishing. When we lived in Key West, we would go out on the the boats and go um, trolling for like blue marlin and stuff like that. Um, And he was dependable and he was honest. If he did open his mouth to say something, you could be sure that he was going to be telling you the truth. So... Um, I guess I didn't really share the story of dad dying. Um, but, uh, so, uh, his, they had moved to Las Vegas and then he retired and his health had started to decline. And, uh, in June of 2017, I went out to be with dad so that our stepmother could come to my nephew's high school graduation. It wasn't like dad really needed a babysitter, but he couldn't be alone for that long he'd had a problem with his balance and had fallen once or twice and it was just going to make Becky feel better um, to go away if somebody was there with him so I went out there and spent a long weekend with dad and it was just dad and I Um, we never really left the house I think I did I think I went to the gym and things like that Uh, we were supposed to go out to dinner one night and he changed his mind Um, and he just was not, yeah, just not, not, not able to move like he should. Um, and I could just tell that the balancing was really bothering him, but he wasn't willing to put the effort into like maybe physical therapy and things to strengthen his arms and his legs, to be able to help himself stay upright when the balance, um, problems started to occur. So, that was June of 2017 that I spent a lot. Of, I spent Father's Day with him. Um, I think I left on Father's Day, and that was the last time I saw him in person. Uh, the next year, in July of 2018, I got a call one morning from my stepmother, and I could barely understand what she was saying. And she said that Dad was dead. She'd found him on the floor of the bathroom. They had been out the night before, the afternoon before. They had a weekly date where they would go to the casino and she just found him on the bathroom floor. So that was shocking. I mean, I knew he wasn't well, but there was no, you know, like kind of sickness or something that happened leading up to that. And thinking back on it, as far as for the kind of person that my dad was, it probably, if, if there was a way for him to go, I think he would want it that way he wouldn't have done well with being in the hospital bed and having people taking care of him and fawning over him um he actually had quadruple bypass surgery Mm. geez it was before I was married so I think I was probably like 24 maybe 25 so he was in his early 50s he had quadruple um, bypass surgery and um to be honest, I don't think he expected to live to 78. But he did, he made it to 78. And I think he left this world on his terms, um, which I'm grateful for. But because of the fact that we were not living in the same state, and I hadn't seen him in a year. um, And like I said, we didn't talk all the time. We, We checked in every once in a while. I think sometimes I still have this mind game that I play that that he's not necessarily gone. I obviously miss him a lot. And so my challenge to you with Father's Day coming up is if your father is still here, think about your relationship with him and what your expectations are from him as a person. I think we have to take our parents off these pedestals of that they, you know, are these people that are bigger than God and can do things like, you know, perfectly and without fault. Um, and just just review your expectations. Do you have realistic expectations over your relationship with your dad, or with your mom, or with your sister, or with your brother? Things are normally, there's a two way street. Um, and if somebody is continuing to disappoint you, you might wanna consider changing your expectations. You know, there's a saying that when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. And I know that's usually meant with a negative connotation, but my dad was who he was. And he didn't really change that much, to be honest, over the, he was 30 when I was born over the 48 years that I knew him, he died when I was 48. You know, he really didn't change that much in who he was. So learning and deciding to change my expectation and not being disappointed really um, opened up a lot of space in my heart to acknowledge who my dad was as a person and to respect him for that. Because there are a lot of things that I truly, truly am grateful for about him. So that's my challenge to you, review your expectations. Are you being realistic? And then perhaps think about ways that you can change them. I'd love to hear your comments. If you've listened this far, thanks so much for being here today. If you liked this episode or you are a fan of the show, the best way to support it is to share it on social media and with your family and friends. For more of my thoughts on the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. As always, remember, we can use grace, grit, and gratitude to grow with our grief.